Hey, Andrew. Hey, Michael. I am thinking about going back in time. How? With what? I don't know. All I know is that 30 years ago, in 1985, everything was possible because of science! Right. Everything. You can go back in time, you can travel to space, you can create a woman, you can fight dinosaurs, and you can be as funny as Val Kilmer used to be. That, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. In 1985, I just want to go back there, man. It looked amazing. I don't know. Would I want to go back then? I don't know. It's, It's hard to live with that the internet now, isn't it? In fact, we wouldn't even be able to do this episode if we went back in time. Right. I'm so short-sighted. Damn. <laughs> so Damn, damn. So you mentioned three <laughs> movies, and then you just referenced Back to the Future, which is not one of these movies. No, I'm just saying, in general, uh, 1985 was the year where science comedies were all over the place during the summer of 85. Yeah. And I think it's because the previous year, Ghostbusters was so huge, and it combined science with horror and comedy. Huh. Because you'll notice, you'll notice if you fast forward to like 1986, all of a sudden horror comedies are everywhere, whereas the year before was science comedies. It's, hmm. it's a weird trend, but I think it's all because of Ghostbusters. I don't know. I don't know. That's an interesting theory. But I think that there's like a Zeitgeist thing that happens where, uh, well, obviously studios will be like, hey, the other studio is working on this crazy project. Let's do one like it. Like Bugs Life, right? Bugs Life like, and oh, Ants we all got disaster that. flicks all at once, right? And sometimes it's not just two dueling pictures, which everybody talks about. Sometimes it's just a trend. Yeah. Do you remember the trend in '87 when all of a sudden every studio was making a body swap movie, and that went on for like the next two years? Was it just '87, or was it a little later? There was like the uh... well, it started in '87 with uh, Like Father, Like Son, and then the next year it was vice versa. '18 again, uh, big, and then. Yeah, but- uh, but uh, that some, like, was direct video the, the, like Father Like Son was literally a dude remake of Freaky Friday. Right, right. Even though they probably won't say that it's no, a they won't. But just um, like like Rat Race is yeah, not that, a remake that, of that's Mad, like Mad, the Mad, Mad, Mad World. Yeah, sure. Thing that I was talking about. So I'm not so sure that the ball got rolling by Ghostbusters. Okay. Like the whole, all these same ideas are floating around at the same time. And they somehow just gel. When did Repo Man come out? Repo Man came out in '84. Because then there you could have another one. So you have the the reason we said three movies specific is because three weeks in a row, August 1985, we had a science comedy come out. As the weeks would go on, there's more diminishing returns. So the first one that came out was actually Weird Science. That's not a bad idea. What? Making a girl. Actually making a girl. This is Wyatt and Gary. I give her Wamdigis mammary glands. Something's about to change their world. Something out of this world. What would you little maniacs like to do first? It's all in the name of science. Weird science. If you want to be a party animal, you have to learn to live in the jungle. Not us. Not here. No way. She is turning their lives. Trust me for once, will you? Their minds and their house. Upside down. It's seriously affecting your sex life. <laughs> it's completely unnatural. Do you realize it's snowing in my room? Totally unbelievable. No! What's going on? And definitely weird. Hi, dudes. They went from zeros to heroes in one fantastic weekend. I'm so good. Universal Pictures presents a John Hughes film. Weird science. It's purely sexual. It came out the first week of August, and uh, that had the biggest box office. Obviously, the trendsetter. Everybody still talks about it. 
and it launched the TV series. Yeah, I'm not so sure that the movie... Well, I'm absolutely sure that the movie doesn't hold Well, up. from a science standpoint, but, absolutely not. It's complete, and com- it's complete nonsense. There's no way any of it makes any sense whatsoever. Uh, right, right. Even from the comedy standpoint, there's so many things that would not fly now. Like, I think the reason we connect to it is not just because it, it captures the imagination of the moment, is I do believe Anthony Michael Hall and Ian Michael Smith uh, were pretty spot on with the characters and I think that's why we enjoy it so much because those two we can vicariously live through them I like Wyatt more I like him as a character more Anthony Michael Hall's character Gary is much more abrasive and this whole um, he reminded me of how Tarantino does interviews in, a, in front of a black audience yeah oh you're talking the scene where he's in the bar where he's drunk and he's talking about and the yeah, kill, that whole, the that whole 15 broke minute segment where he's doing that even after while he's in the car he's still in that mode when Tarantino gets in front of a black audience and is doing interviews he starts doing this yeah you know what i'm saying he starts trying to talk and, and merge with their type of vernacular and and way to present right. himself he does that and that's what this seemed like but turned to cartoonish levels and uh, yeah yeah it, it just seemed odd it always seemed odd by the way since i was a child it seemed odd i didn't quite understand what they were going for were they making fun of the black people were they making fun of the white kid for trying to sound like a black guy how they depict the black people in that scene are caricature for the most part so what what were they going for what was everybody's beloved john hughes doing in this scene confused me. you know what's weird is john hughes the two movies that john hughes did before this were very sensitive I mean, there were silly moments in 16 candles but it was all realistic silly moments this is almost complete parody of teenage movies because there's not really uh, an authentic moment where you're like oh yeah that's how humans act yeah that's you're you're right for using the phrase authentic moment maybe that's why this movie never rung true to me the tv show on maybe the other he hand intended it to be like a live action cartoon still you, you can get away with like constantly violently hurting elmer fudd whatever because the next scene elmer fudd's fine but when it's people in that situation unless it's like a movie like airplane uh-huh. you can't quite do it it just comes off as like mean or sleazy there's a lot of sleaze in this movie <laughs> there are some moments i the one thing that uh i remember reading about i think like 12 or 13 years ago is joss whedon hated weird science he said it was sexist and he created an episode on buffy where they create a robot whatever and they treat it more what he believed to be realistic and i was like a that's mm-hmm. nonsense because no one can create a robot like not a cybernetic level robot yeah and b i have never once seen weird science as sexist the viewpoint from the two boys How? is sexist but she is the one in control of the entire movie she is uh, a strong but female it's lead. still sexist it's still a fantasy it's still a male fantasy about what a man wants in a woman they still created and she still calls herself property she's not necessarily in control i don't know i never saw it as she was uh, not in complete control the entire time I, I feel like she was just playing with the kids until she realized that it went too far and then she had to just like step in the other parts of the movie that are sexist is the depiction of the girls that they actually do like which are only worried about their popularity which are only worried about fashion and clothes that's the reason why they're with robert downey jr and i forgot the other guy's name which you probably know robert wrestler yeah those two guys which they play those roles perfectly but they're the douchebags of the movie but every guy except for wyatt is a douchebag in the movie by the way robert is from my hometown i actually went to school with his cousin oh that is cool i guess yay for you yay for nothing really Um, because i never met him but 
six degrees of Robert Russell. what's his name yeah the, I literally have always had a problem with it. the movie the TV show was less because the TV show actually you had more standards and practices so they decided that you're not allowed to do this sort of thing like have a lady have all of her clothes ripped off by the vortex and thrown out of a chimney there's no reason for that yeah it's that was I actually read that that was uh, demanded by uh, Joel Silver that it was never actually in the original cut and they went back and then they reshot that whatever it's still yeah yeah but I'm just saying it's, it's not really a John Hughes call bizarre. Bill Paxton on the other hand being a douchebag <laughs> in this is perfect. I, I never liked the guy in this movie. Like, like no, no. Character. His hair is weird. To. I can't stop looking at it. What the hell is wrong with his hair? It's like really long on the sides and greased back, but then buzzed on top. Is that a style that I missed? It's just a flat top, but yeah, he's got an odd hair pattern. Yeah, it's and... the whole time just looking at it like, yeah, this is really good acting, but what the hell is going on here? <laughs> yeah. Actually, the thing with the girls, you know, you said that they were obsessed with, you know, their social status and clothes and everything like that, the kind of generic cliche stuff with women. But if you look at the main two characters, characters they actually have the same exact obsession i mean it's been a long time since either one of us was in school but that's kind of the way it is with almost everybody if you're not you're either completely disconnected from your generation or you're a sociopath no i wasn't a sociopath i wasn't obsessed with that as a kid i was just a nice were you, kid were you like a social person in any way yeah i was always reaching out for social connections i was just denied them by many people so i was considered one of the outcasts now when you look at those two guys uh wyatt and gary they're attractive kids. There's no reason why they should be social outcast. And that's... No, it's it's the Hollywood version of social outcast, but... Well, I looked a lot like those time, guys, is what I'm saying. Everybody, no matter... You can be really pretty and you can have money. It doesn't mean you're popular. Uh, literally, I was reading uh, Rob Lowe's biography the other day and yeah, it, he's known for being one of the most handsome men on the planet, yeah. but as a kid, he was tortured for the way he looked. Everybody just called him a fag all the time because he was very pretty. And he was new at his school and he was poor. And so so it was very hard for him to make friends. So just because you look a certain way or you have a certain amount of money does not mean you're accepted. Yeah, I looked a lot like those kids. Like Anthony Michael Hall, I looked closer to him than Wyatt. But like a cross between Anthony Michael Hall in this movie and Chris Young in every Chris Young movie. That's pretty much how I looked. Right. I was like bullied and treated badly and like i relate to them getting bullied by those two guys but still my perspective wasn't necessarily i want to get laid all the time i want to i want to create a woman <laughs> oh well i couldn't create a woman but i did want to get laid all the time no i i was uh as far as that goes i was more asexually minded until much later in life i was just like i don't see the what's the why is everybody this is their end game stop it yeah it's just your hormones in a rage you become sexually obsessed i refuse to watch top gun because all the 13 year old girls were already getting sexually interested in Top Gun only because of Tom Cruise. And I was like, this is stupid. And I mean, they were pretty explicit at a Christian high school about like why they liked that movie and why they liked him. And I was like, this is nonsense. I'm never watching that movie. Have you have you ever seen it? No. I've seen enough behind-the-scenes stuff and clips and whatever to know everything about the movie, but I've never actually seen it. But now, my reasoning isn't just boycotting 13-year-old girls and their burgeoning sexuality. It is simply to kind of annoy people who say, oh my god, you've never seen that's my reason now. Yeah, I, uh, I've i seen it a couple times. I saw it, uh, I think, about five years ago, and I sat there going, oh my god, this is macho bullshit. Where is my copy of Iron Eagle? I'd 
something like that. At least it's, <laughs> and, it's yes, low budget watched, cheesy, but at least it's earnest. I watched Iron Eagle yeah, a handful of times, so yes, that was more my liking than... Anyway, that's a digression. Point is, I was never as uh, sex-minded as these kids are in, in any of these movies, actually. Well, uh, part of it also might be the fact it was just uh, an era where sex comedy sold, and this was a way for John Hughes to make a sex comedy without going full-bore perversion, like Porky's yeah, level, yeah. you know, so... Uh, the one thing I do take away from this movie is my favorite line from this movie isn't really even a line. It's a sound that Robert Downey Jr. makes as he's coming down the escalator, and I find myself doing this on a regular basis. Ay, 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 ay. Okay, that's a cartoon noise. <laughs> I just want to throw it out there. My friends will know I do this on a regular basis. Uh, the TV show, I think, uh, did a better job. Uh, as far as uh, translating a movie to a television show, it did a really decent job, and that is where I think you got Vanessa Angel being the woman in control, trying to guide these boys. Even though she's sexy, she's trying to guide these boys in the correct way of things, or the logical, pragmatic way of life. Yeah, the the TV show, you learn more yeah. lessons. And, um, like, uh, Ferris Bueller TV show didn't quite translate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if I want to watch a Ferris Bueller TV show, I'll watch Parker Lewis. Yeah, but even then, if you watch Parker Lewis now, it's the worst horribly dated show ever. It actually doesn't have a good beat, rhythm. It just looks like people learning their, their comedy craft. and then now. Okay, I completely disagree with you. Completely disagree with you. I've seen it recently, and it was atrocious, yeah, so and I. I couldn't handle it. But I'm also not nostalgically yeah, minded, so maybe that's... Okay, I am. So, yeah. But it's not just nostalgia blind to me. I still enjoy the show quite a bit. Oh, I, I love seeing the guy who plays Kubiak in things. Like, he pops oh, up yeah. and I go, Kubiak! Or the Koob! <laughs> you know, I still reference that. My wife will attest to this. But that show, now watching it, we couldn't do it. We tried. We really tried. We wanted to because we're fond of it. But we, we just couldn't. But anyway, that's a, that's a All right, my science project. Uh-oh. The most outrageous science fiction comedy of the summer is here. What do you call this, Wawa? My Science Project. Hey, I see lights like this at Ozzy Osbourne concert. What's he saying? He's going to kick our... What are we going to do? About one to five with good behavior. It's totally out of control. My Science Project. Think of the fun. Rated PG. Now playing in a theater near you. I'm going to say this first. This is a video box of a movie that I could never watch because my parents would just never, you know, like, like we don't know what that is. Let's get something else that's common uh, if we were ever rented. And we didn't rent that often. This is a box that I always saw. My Science Project, the cluster of people on the cover and the weird electricity. And then I always turned it to the back and I see this dinosaur laying on its side with its guts spilled out and the guy with a machine gun. And I was like, that, that right there. What the hell is that? <laughs> the cover looks like this and the inside what what and so that movie just stuck with me for years as far as uh, something that i had never seen and eventually i did get to see when anchor bay put it out and i'm all right with it that movie still actually holds up yeah it's, it's uh, i think it's the very first touchstone pictures film I could be wrong on this one, but I think it's... It's a... Is it? It is a Silver Screen Partners 3 movie. Well... Or 2. Touchstone Partners distributed, so... Two or 3. Right? Yeah. It, that's... Yeah. Silver Screen worked exclusively with Disney. Yeah. So... My Science Project... Um, I actually am a huge fan of John Stockwell uh, as a uh, as an actor. Uh, I'm kind of ambivalent to him as a director. He's competent. It's just he never does anything really that grabs my interest. But for a short period... You saw... We talked about... Real quick. We talked about Radioactive Dreams and how he was cardboard and didn't 
do any character work, right? Uh, you might have. I don't remember. I mean, Michael Dudikoff is more no. lively in that movie than John Stockwell. Yeah, we, we, yeah, go back and listen to the episode. You never listen to our episode. I never do. I go never back listen and listen to the, to the episode. episode. I can't listen to myself. Yeah, it's... you noted and, or agreed that he, he was just kind of cardboard. He didn't bring any character. There was nothing interesting to it. But this movie is the opposite. But... He's all character. It's a character that he's playing, which is good. Yeah, well, I mean, he was a 50-50 guy if, uh, you, you had a pretty good chance of getting him in his Christine mode, you know, where he was more of the leading man with some character to work with, or you would get him as the blank. And even then, he's still kind of appealing. There's nothing that, like, just turns you off. But there are some times when it felt like he was just phoning it in, and you're like, oh, did he just take this for the money? Like, City Limits. He is barely there huh. in City Limits. And, uh... Yeah, well, that's also but, another um, weird post-apocalyptic thing, yeah. like Radioactive Dreams. Maybe he just hated making those movies. Yeah, maybe he was signed to a contract he wanted to get out of, and he's like, you know, I gotta finish it. But, you know, uh, My Science Project is probably his biggest movie. Uh, it's from a studio, you know, a, a big studio, and had a good budget, had a... Uh, a decent cast: Raphael Savage, Dennis Hopper, Fisher Stevens. I cannot remember the girl's name. The one I from La Bamba. The Fisher Stevens yeah. character is often overdubbed because this was a rated originally, R movie. It was originally before. an R rated movie. Only, well, the only reason why it would have been a rated R movie is because of the language. Okay. And he says "funkin" at one point, and that's an obvious overdub. They were wanting to keep this down, so there's a lot of dialogue that he said that he re-said in the nice version, and I don't think there is a harder version out there i think that's the final yeah i'm pretty sure anchor bay or nobody it's pretty else put funny. out a different cut no i don't i all the audio is probably lost you know it's funny thing is we, uh, we, but i i like it i like the movie a lot yeah we rented this years after it came out it was one of those movies that like you said you see it on the shelf but for some reason it was always passed up and i grabbed it in college uh we had a store called video connection where you could get three movies for two bucks for a week and uh that seemed like a pretty solid deal for college students we could rewatch them if we liked them you know get more out of our money and uh grabbed my science project yeah. spies like us and summer job summer job i have barely any memory of except there's lots of nudity spies like us i had already seen in the theaters and then my science project kind of captured our imagination at that time even though it was almost i think about 12 years after it came out it still fascinated us and me and my roommate watched it probably four or five times in that week and i remember one night us walking around with shades and it was dark and there's a line in my science project that fisher stevens has yes he says when you're cool the sun's always shining yeah but yeah but we're both wearing shades as we're walking through through campus or whatever and some girl goes you know you guys know it's dark outside right you don't need your shades or anything right and we're like lady when you're cool the sun's always shining we walked in just kind of laughing to ourselves i look back on that and just cringe i was like we're idiots we're just idiots <laughs> you felt really really assured and confident but like she's probably rolling her eyes really hard at you oh yeah i'm <laughs> sure she was but i couldn't see because it was dark and i had shades on <laughs> Right. So my science project kid uh, is a just a, a gearhead. He can't. He doesn't do science. He does cars, which is itself a science. Right. So this is silly. But he doesn't have a science project, so he goes to a junkyard of airplanes uh, next. It's it's not Area 51. Well, isn't it a, a airplane well graveyard? Yeah, that's what it is. And there's some chunk of an engine from some old... What I didn't like about this movie is the preface. They didn't need the preface. The old footage from 1960. They did not need that. Get away with that preface. Just fast forward to five minutes into the movie or something and start it there. Because then it's a lot more mysterious. But it's just a device that came from an alien spacecraft that the Roswell whatever etc. maybe have happened. He finds this and, and it just starts messing around with things. Kills us 
car, uh, starts messing around with electricity. They take it to the Yippie uh, teacher, who is, I think, probably scripted just as science teacher. And Dennis uh-huh. Hopper made him a Yippie. Yeah, he, he really sold that. Uh, there's one sequence in the movie that uh, has to do with that electricity or, you know, with the, the alien technology wiping out power. Yeah. Is uh, when it's riding the power lines and they're trying to outrace it. Yeah. That is still a very good sequence. The way they directed and edited it, uh, the pacing of it is really solid. Yeah. A lot Beat of the electricity. Don't hold up. Humans can't. We can't beat electricity. Not with a car. <laughs> it's impossible. However, no, but it's a movie, so who cares? Yeah, however, <laughs> the scene's fun. The whole movie is preposterous. There is no real science behind oh, any of it. completely nonsense. It's, it's got this... Um, there's more science to something like The Final Countdown, which just reminded me of as far as like the device. It just opens up. Oh, right. Final Countdown. Isn't that the one with the Philadelphia Experiment? Yeah. Those movies share the same kind of concept? Yeah, yeah. The, the experiment that goes okay. awry and other dimensional, but not too fantastic. It's more grounded in reality. This reminded me of that just in theme a little bit. Like This thing opens up different portals to dimension also reminds me of another movie called house 2 which absolutely one of my favorite movies but anyway the portals open up and there's Viet Cong cavemen dinosaur space dudes (laughs) and no matter what any of these characters like where I want to know at what point in in history did they pull those characters from that they would just step through this portal and start shooting (laughs) attacking cavemen don't shoot that's what I want to know like the cavemen show up and like ooga booga kill okay I get it Scared cave. Viet Cong, not like, uh, uh, what's going on in Vietnamese, but just start yelling in Vietnamese and shooting. Space dudes, not, we're from space or future dudes, we're from the future, let's investigate. No, let's shoot everything with lasers. It's amazing. It's basically, the the end of the movie kind of turns into a little bit of a video game, you know, where it's just mindless villains, you gotta take them out. That's the thing that strikes my interest right there, is to know that. Now, you've never never seen this on VHS, have you? You've only ever seen it on Yeah, only on Anchor Bay. Okay, so here's the thing. I don't know if you'll remember remember this but for a while when movies were shot super wide they would have to compress them for vhs so the figures would be elongated they look weird like just a little too long for oh right human that's beings. like the tv thing that, that they used to do with television why we always thought spaghetti westerns because we'd always seen them on tv were they stretched images but that's because they were super wide so they just squashed from the sides yes i know what you're talking about yeah yeah my science project was shot like that it was shot super wide and then they put it on video and you're just like this looks strange. And they didn't pan and scan it? They just squashed Yeah, it? I don't think pan and scan even existed back then. It was just, uh, they had to stretch the image. And when it finally came out on DVD, I was like, oh my god, this is what it's supposed to look like. And there were a lot of movies, I would say probably from around 84 to 86. For some reason, that was the most common occurrence. Tons of movies were being, you know, scrunched and stretched and all morphed. And they looked terrible. Yeah. I'm actually slightly fond of the stretched look sort of thing, but only if it's used as a sort of artistic reference. I suppose. Yeah. I wouldn't want to watch an old spaghetti western now. No, no, no. Like that. I just remember flipping through channels and seeing, like, why is that happening? To the, okay, whatever. Yeah, and Cowboy. the funny thing is, uh, our next movie, Real Genius. When the military runs short on brains, they go hunting at Pacific Tech, an exclusive institution for outstanding intellects, where the superstar of smarts is Chris Knight. His hobbies violate the laws of gravity. What are you doing out there? Floating, sir. His homework could win a Nobel Prize. He's one of the ten finest minds in the country. And his IQ is higher than most people can count. 
But when Chris makes the scientific discovery of the century, his classmates want the credit. You're not number one around here anymore. His professor wants the publicity, and the military wants to use his discovery as the ultimate weapon. So Chris is about to turn getting even into a science and show them. Roger. Open Bombay doors. They should never try to outsmart a real genius. Real genius. The whole movie on videotape, I remember playing fine, but at the very end, with the credit sequence, they super stretched. You're like, what is going on here? Like, could they not go back and redo the credits so it could fit the video and TV? It had to be, like, super morphed. It was like jumping into an alien world all of a sudden at the last minute. Yeah. So, this is just an above-ground comedy thing that they always did in the 80s, where it's the students versus the faculty, or at least some part of the faculty. Yeah. And, for good measure, it's a liberal film, a pacifist film. I should say, in which the military-industrial complex is appropriately painted as callous and criminal. Uh, appropriately in this story, I mean. So, Do you think the reason I, Real Genius is still affecting so many people? Because it was actually a bomb in theaters. It hit well on video, and it's still very popular with the next generations, is the fact that it was directed by Martha Coolidge, who was known for taking the what could have been exploitive, like Valley Girl, and made it smart and sensitive. As far as having knowledge of that director, I don't don't think that has anything to do with this. Yeah, well, I'm not so sure that's what my point was. I was just saying the fact it was directed by a woman, she could take a different approach, whereas a lot of guy directors might have uh, turned it into a frat boy movie, where this was more about just different types of people coming together, you know, uh, outcasts, the sensitive people, you know, that kind of thing. They, they tackled it uh, yeah, properly. I, I didn't connect to this movie as far as the overall thing, but I connected to the characters a lot. I really appreciated how Val Kilmer, the cool guy, was absolutely, really, honestly righteously cool. He wasn't just a smartass. He was momentarily a smartass, but everything he did had reason. He was not cruel. And the dorky kid, that's the blank for everybody. If you're watching right. it, you're most likely the dorky kid. And then the love interest girl, who isn't just a love interest, she's also an equal part. She's quirky, strange, smart, interesting. You know what's and funny is, there's a lady at that, my gym who looks exactly like what I believe that she would look like now. And I want to ask yeah. her what her name is, but I just don't. Pull some lines from the movie. See if she recognizes them. Hoping that she'll say her line in the movie. <laughs> no, uh, that would be awful. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I like this movie, but I never made it like a favorite. However, I do have the Order of the Gorilla shirt. I just, I just miss the fact that Val Kilmer used to be funny. You know, his first couple movies out the gate. Even some of the charm made it into Willow, but after that, he just turned to dead serious, and you're just like, man. And then a little bit of it showed up in Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. A lot of it showed up in Kiss, 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 Bang, Bang. That's a masterpiece of its sort. Yeah, I just, I wish he had stayed funny instead of being so insanely serious. I think it's funny is that uh, Val Kilmer, just before he got hired for Top Secret, yeah. he was a working actor. I believe that he was doing some road plays in Texas. But my professor, uh, my degree is in theater, and my professor, he would always tell us stories about Val Kilmer because he worked with him on this road show. And I just thought it was funny that he was just so enamored by him, and I was like, you know, he's kind of a douchebag now, right? He kind of is destroying his career. This is right after Island of Dr. Moreau had come out. Yeah. And maybe he was different when he was younger. I don't know if he was always that way or it was just something that grew with time, but it's just kind of a shame that his ego got so out of control that nobody wanted to work with him, therefore the project started to stink. I think there comes a point if you're at the top, there comes a point where you either do the most righteous thing ever with being at the top or you crash and burn around all of the responsibilities that you actually don't have because you have somebody else doing it for you because you're at the top. 
This is why yeah. I like Steve Zahn. Not that he would ever hit the top, but Steve Zahn has a farm, and he goes and lives on the farm when he's not working in movies. He's just a farmer. He has a ranch farm sort of thing. Then he goes and does a movie to supplement his farm or whatever. It's awesome. People who live like that, and I think Val Kilmer eventually got to that point. Now he's, I think, in Arizona, and he has a ranch. But eventually, he had to really knock himself out a few times. Because, yeah, he seemed to have been a Brando-style monster after a while. Which is ironic, since they couldn't stand each other on the set of that yeah, movie. Yeah, dueling Brandos. That's really what it seemed like. <laughs> yeah, so Real Genius is right there at the beginning. You see him fresh and happy, and he's full of energy, and he's just giving everything he's got. And it's not just him. There's The cast is just filled to the brim with uh, solid character actors and yeah. a few people that kind of disappear. It is also a time capsule of the 80s. It's yeah, a good yeah. time capsule of a different type of 80s than just the mall culture 80s. Oh, that's what you have with Weird Science. You have mall culture 80s. And maybe that's actually why all those characters are portrayed as they are as vapid, insecure, self-absorbed, sexist caricatures of teens. Uh, either way, boy... Sexist doesn't necessarily mean about women. Everybody is a turd <laughs> in Weird Science. Now, this movie, there's only, like, two turds. Not everybody's a turd in, in Real Genius. So it's a, low, it's a low turd factor. Should that be the rating? PG-13, low turd factor? <laughs> That's what I actually really like about Real Genius. I, I could give or take the actual plot but the characters themselves are endearing they're good they're nice there are dilemmas there's insecurity done in a more realistic way than it is for me at least more relatable than it is with weird science weird science i couldn't relate to it i still can't relate to it there are things that are funny about it but you know there's one character in there everybody kind of identifies with val kilmer's roommate there's one character I actually connect to is laszlo guy with extreme potential who crippled under the pressure and just kind of hides away and i've actually done that I didn't know how to deal with... God, it sounds like I'm bragging, but I didn't know how to deal with... I was very, very good in school, and I was considered to be, like, one of those gifted kids. And then I got uh, taken out of third grade and put into fifth grade, and the pressure became too great. Not just from the fact I had to get perfect grades, the fact that everybody that I was in class with treated me like I was a freak. Like, oh, here, look at the youngin' in our class. You know, like the little babies in our class. Even though I was only two years younger. And then all of my, uh, my former classmates that were still in third grade treated me like I was a freak show. And I wanted to quit school. I stopped being social. I kind of just shut down. And I didn't know how to deal with it. And I kind of understood where that character was coming from. And in fact, the, when I saw that movie, it was just about the time that all happened. Uh, so that's the character that you, you latched onto and said, That guy, I'm in his corner. I know, it's kind of strange, isn't no, it? No, it's not strange at all. I mean, I never had it like that, but the, his roommate, the main character, is who I, because he's so general, that's who I relate to. He's, he's such a... You would think that I would connect to him, because he's the one who got in there early. you think that would be the character I connected to, but I just didn't. I think it was because by the time I saw this movie, I was in that post-trauma phase of being uh, pushed up a couple grades. Yeah, it's not weird. It makes sense why we, we all relate. It does. You just gotta figure it out, so. Of these three, which one's right. your favorite? Of the three, Real Genius. Real Genius. Which one's most rewatchable? Weird Science. You think so? Oh yeah, it's just I think a lot of it's just because it was pure studio film. It, uh, it has the best pacing. It has you know something every ten minutes. Something you know it, it, the movie making changed in the uh, '80s because everybody started copying the Star Wars radars of the Lost Ark effect, right? Where something had to happen every ten to fifteen minutes. And Joel Silver and John Hughes put Weird Science in that mold, and that's why it works so well. I but see. it really hit its pinnacle in the next year when Fair 
Ferris Bueller's Day Off came out is when that that formula was absolutely perfected. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, I can see that because that movie like has the lull is actually the part where they're just driving around and Anthony Michael Hall is still in the black character voice. That's the big lull in that movie. But immediately after that, you bring Chet in and then it it, it bounces. Yeah, up everything. Again, and then it just it keeps going and going and going. It is one of those right. kitchen sink type of movies. Oh, definitely. Almost anything possible will happen in this movie. Whereas Real Genius has has a laser. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, there's no there's no kitchen sink in Real Genius. There's just characters. Yeah, I will no, say there is that big pool really, party, which is fun. I always Real thought. Genius has uh, the most legitimate science. Yes. If you're going to take what is actually possible, that is the only one. That actually, seems that is a predictive science. It's predictive science. They have that technology now, and they have it on battleships, right. and they can shoot a laser. I don't know at a moving plane or from a moving plane and popcorn a house, but they can shoot a laser from a very long distance. And they're they're working on this stuff, and they have working prototypes now. When the movie was out, I dare say they didn't have working prototypes. That was just speculative. So it's sort of uh, made this in, inspired some guy in the wrong way to make a big laser for the military. <laughs> Alright, so I think we've hit the end of our episode. I think so too. I'm sad. I don't want it to end. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, everybody. That is it for us here at Video Night. This is Michael. This is Andrew. Signing off. Be excellent to each other. Au revoir. Ciao. Bye-bye. Video Night. Ooga Booga Kill.